Welcome to the unofficial House of Wind book club, written by two best friends and self-declared members of the Night Court. Today we are discussing chapters one and two of A Court of Mist and Fury. I know you can hear me from the dark. I know you're listening from afar. Finally! Yes! It only took seven and a half years. I've only been eagerly anticipating this book since the beginning of the last one. We're here! I was telling a friend, do you know how painful it was to sit through Akatar for a whole- it took six and a half months. It was rough. And people are like, it's my least favorite book of the series. And I was like, I am well aware. We can't skip it though. You can't skip over it. No, it just was a lot. But finally, we're here. And I'm very glad because this is one of my favorite books. Isn't this your comfort book? It is. We get to reap the rewards of the painstaking hours sunk into a court of thorns and roses. (sighs) Moving on. Hours and hours and hours. Yes. (laughs) Tamlin, your days are numbered. Thank the Lord. Livy, can I tell you about what happened in the coffee shop? I would love for you to tell me because the prompt that you have written before me has me with a big question mark on my face. Um, so my prompt here is the couple in the coffee shop and fuck hormones. <laughs> so we'll go in order. That seems alarming. Go on. They're two separate things. Okay, okay. Do you remember the really sweet woman that came into my house for a contract meeting to get maternity photos done. Do you remember her? Yes, the night court lady. Yeah. Yeah, she came in with their resand shirt. Right. Okay. So I love her. Her name's Amanda. And now we are very good friends. And Amanda and I went to a local coffee shop. They call them cafes here. They're not coffee Mm. shops. Cafe. To get coffee this past Saturday morning. And sadly, my favorite cafe was closed. So we had to go to another one that was like in the same street, just not like the exact same thing. And as we're sitting there, like I pull out Akamath because I'm about to like go through and do the chapter summaries and she pulls out Iron Flame because the whole point of us getting together was to talk about Iron Flame and so we start to like barely talk about the books and this woman who I could just tell was American because you can you can tell I mean one her shirt had English on it and the English actually made sense so that's like a dead giveaway (laughs) she's actually American her like head whips over and I was thinking oh my god did we offend her by talking about a book I'm like I know there's some smut in it maybe she doesn't like it (laughs) and so I keep talking but I keep like looking over at this woman and her husband and eventually she puts her hands down on the table and i was like oh fuck hey i don't mean to interrupt but are you guys talking about iron flame and do you have a sarah J. bass book on your table and i was like yes ma'am i do and yes ma'am we were and she was such a doll amanda and i stood for a full hour talking about all things Iron Flame, all things Akatar. And it was just really nice. And her husband had read Fourth Wing and I believe was wanting to start Akatar, but hadn't. Don't quote me on that. Yes, I think that's exactly what had happened. And she, I don't know, it was just really cool because we went to a cafe in Italy where usually like, Americans talking about books, nobody's going to listen in. Right. But instead, they had just gotten to Aviano within this month. So they were brand new. And I was thinking about canceling on Amanda because as you can hear, I'm not feeling the best. And so I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't go. Like, I don't want to get her sick because she's 39 weeks pregnant. Like, that's the last thing she needs. 
But we went and then we ran into this lovely couple who we talked to for a full hour. She was like, talking about if we ever made a book club at Aviano, she wants to join. She found me on Facebook and immediately she was like, do you like Sarah J Mass?" And I was like, I have an Akatar podcast. Yes, do, I do you have an Instagram? And she was like, what? And so I showed her her Instagram and she immediately followed. She found me on Facebook and like, I don't know, it was just really, really cool because that's the last thing I expected was to find another one of our cult members just out and about living life found in the wild that's awesome very fun would you like to know about the fuck hormones part yes i'm really glad that these didn't go together because the couple in the coffee shop and f hormones like i was just like oh that could have been very bad i was very worried that it was a very um smutty coffee shop encounter for you okay no i mean we did talk about smut so yes but no but not in the sense that i was getting okay going moving on (laughs) libby i from the age of 12 when I got my first period to the age of 25 had maybe six periods total. Jeez. Total. Wow. Okay. Let me reiterate. Six total. And they would come maybe once every other year. I had really messed up hormones, right? I was overweight all my life and I had PCOS. Sorry, we're going to get into medical history here because we are uh, medically frail ladies. And I really enjoyed it. Was it healthy? No. But I also didn't have to deal with mood swings or hormones or cramping cramping or bloating or any of it. So then I got this wonderful magical surgery and my friend, I have had seven periods in the last 10 months. Mm -hmm. Back to the world of menstruation. I have had not that many in my whole life. It is no bueno. I don't know how y'all do it. I feel insane. I have an IUD. As we all know. So do I. We are done. We're done with kids. Mm -hmm. Super done. And because of uh, my chronic illness, I can tend to have trouble staying above the weight I'm supposed to. Right. I teeter on the line of going from underweight to approved normal weight. And because of that, an IUD, I, who had always gotten periods all the time and they were excruciatingly horrible now don't get them often and when i do they are very light and don't last very long so it's like we've swapped roles here we traded we traded places we traded it is the opposite of fun i'm so sorry that you had to deal with this for most of your life i'm glad that you no longer have to deal with this i can't believe this is normal for everybody i can't believe that women just go through their lives every 28 days, just feeling like their uterus is crawling outside of itself. And with little baby, I was telling James, it feels like there are little elves in my uterus with little tiny like blades. And they're just... I always felt like someone was just taking a bunch of steak knives and wearing them like Wolverine claws and just down my abdomen. So... Yeah. What the... And this is just normal and you're just supposed to live with it. And I don't like it. So that... I would just like to say, fuck that. I think there should be a universal healthcare program at work for people where when they're on the period, they're allowed to take off. Yes. <laughs> and you should not be expected to have to work while dealing with any of the things, the bloating, the cramping, the emotional roller coaster, all of it, all of the things you should not have to deal with. I agree. And I would like to say on top of this, I am sick. I mean, granted, 
this level of sickness compared to what I was like last year when I would have gotten a cold is night and day difference, which is very nice. Still the two, it's a two for one deal I didn't ask for. Yeah. So please tell me you have better news. Yeah, but now I feel like a jerk. I, I'm just excited because as at this point in time, as we are recording this, we are recording a little bit ahead of schedule so that we can enjoy the actual holidays with our families. And not have panic attacks. Exactly. Well, so on Friday, the Miyazaki movie, the Ghibli Studios movie, The Boy and the Heron came out in theaters. Okay. And I've never, I'm a huge Ghibli fan. I'm a huge Miyazaki fan. And I've never gotten to see any of those movies as they've been released in theaters. And you got to see one. Well, I am tonight. That's the plan tonight. Yeah, Skylar got us tickets, and so we're going to go see. You never clarified what you were saying. You said, we have to be done recording by 6.45. We got to be done. Because we're going to see a movie. And I was like, that is so random, but that makes more sense. My husband is also sick today and feels like death himself. And he's mm. like, "I'm. we are going. He's like, I don't care. He's like, I'm going to be fine by then. Skylar, don't listen to this. Is it a man cold or is it like a true? No, he's really not feeling good. <laughs> yeah. Those are two very different answers. He is in a lot of pain today. <laughs> Poor guy. He's going through it and he's like, no, we are going. He's like, I don't care. He was like, we're, we're going. This movie is supposed to be Miyazaki's last work. He came out of retirement to make it and is going back into retirement. He will be done, he says, after this. This is kind of like his last, I had one more in me, here it is. Uh, Personal question, are you bringing your child? Yes. Is your tiny human coming? Absolutely. She loves Miyazaki films. She's a huge fan. She really likes Ponyo. That's one of her favorites. I feel like I'm, I'm... speaking in another language for you right now Uh uh-uh no i know that one that one's with a fish okay okay yeah essentially yes yes you're not far off libby for me that's pretty damn good (laughs) i'm pretty impressed right now she really likes ponyo she loved kiki's delivery service i've also seen that oh yeah yeah spirited away freaked her out the first time but she loves it now i've also seen that what is wrong with me and then my neighbor uh totoro Big fan of my neighbor Totoro. She really likes that one. I haven't seen that, but I trust her at this point. And she really likes The Secret World of Arietti. That one's a good one. I have other favorites. I love all of those as well, but I'm glad that she also, those are very age appropriate for her to like. All right. Spirited Away might be a a little more than what she can keep up with. But I think she likes the colors. Is that why she's maybe terrified? <laughs> it, it Yes. I was not shocked that it freaked her out. I was like, you don't have to watch this one. She was like committed though. No, we're watching it. And typically around the holidays, like when we're putting our Christmas tree up, we'll play a Ghibli movie. Kind of like become a tradition for her. So she really likes, especially around this time of year, to watch the Studio Ghibli, the Miyazaki films. And so it's just very exciting for our family. I'm really looking forward to it. I am happy for you that good things are happening. I know. It's exciting. I'm excited. Uh, You know what else is exciting, my friend? What? New Year's resolutions. New Year's. Interesting. Okay. Okay. do, Do you know why I love New Year's so much? Well... Is it because of your husband's birthday or no? Yeah. So New Year's Eve is my husband's birthday. And like most people 
get really stressed out trying to make, you know, like New Year's Eve plans and have to go out. And my husband's an introvert. And the only thing he wants to do on his birthday is stay home and watch movies. You have the ultimate excuse. Everyone's like, why don't you come party? You're like, it's my husband's birthday. We have to do what he wants to do. It's my husband's birthday. And so there is no stress. We like hunker down with the puppies and have the best time and just get to stay home. And I also love New Year's resolutions because I'm like a sentimental human and I like cheesy things. So our question this week, my friend, is what are your New Year's resolutions? And I'm going to answer this first because I already know your answer. (laughs) I have a cool one. So every single year, it's since I can literally think my goal has been to lose 100 pounds. Look, check done i don't have that's not an option i only have 20 more you get to make a whole new one. Oh my god well kind of i still i want to lose my final 20 pounds to get my okay, stomach fair. removal surgery but the other one my goal is just to make it home oh. back to the states so i'm going in september and i'm gonna save up so i can have lots of fun and go back home and see all my friends and family Celebrate my dad's 60th birthday, lose 20 pounds to get my skin removal surgery, and then go back to see my family. Those are good. What are yours, Libby? There's going to be so many. (laughs) Uh, We briefly discussed this. I don't do New Year's resolutions. I typically have always found them depressing. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Most New Year's resolutions, I feel, have been weight loss related. Not for me, but for most people in my life. Case in point. Outside of you, truly outside of you, I don't think I know anyone that's actually stuck with and met their resolutions. Really? Yeah, I I feel like there's been a lot of people in my life making resolutions. They don't ever end up actually fulfilling them and they just feel sadder or more worse worse off depressed yeah whether it's i'm gonna get my finances in order i'm gonna lose the weight i'm gonna whatever so i've always felt new year's resolutions to be depressing and kind of teasing to me i choose to make goals still i'm not against making goals for yourself that's not what i mean i just don't like to make this it's a new year it's gonna get done this year this this timeline of you got to get it done I'd rather make a goal for yourself that is realistic that you feel that you can meet whether it's in the new year or in the middle of the year have a July resolution have a halfway through the year mid-year slump resolution I don't care James and I literally do like a catch-up about mid-year yeah we're like hey have we How, made it? it? Are going? we doing good? Yeah. Last year was the first year that I was like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we have. And that's weird to say. I feel like they're just easy for people to feel like if they don't stick with it from the start or the get-go, it's easy to give up on and it just becomes a, a negative, that kind of sucked thing. And so I believe in, yes, making goals for yourself and doing whatever you want to make your lives and your years happier and better but don't feel overwhelmed or like a failure if you don't accomplish it within the year or if you get into a slump and it does you don't stick with it for a few months you don't have to be like well I messed up I guess I'll wait till next new year so that's that's my thought process I'm a very um how do I word this get shit done kind of person yeah. Does that make sense? Okay. And one of the things that is most important to me in life is an ambition because, you know, I get very bored <laughs> very quickly. And so even like 
with my husband when we first started dating was during COVID. And you can't judge somebody for how they acted during COVID because you know that's not how they actually really act in real life. I remember you always finding ways to not let COVID affect you though. I remember you were like, I know it's COVID, but here's how I'm going to get through. Yeah. Like you're, because you were still going through your weight loss uh, before the surgery. You were trying to, yeah. yeah. And so for you, you were like, I can't go to the gym, but I'm going out walking or I'm going to, I'm lifting this around my house. Like I kicked COVID's ass. You did. I really did. You are on, you're a no excuses person. I think that's a fair description. And my husband was uh, the opposite with COVID. He was so content (laughs) just to relax and chill out. And I don't know how to do either of those things. So, But to be fair, I think that's exactly what you need. Because he's also got the mindset of, is your, does your mental health need you to take a break? And back then, especially, yeah, see, you were all, you were not on board with that. You were like, my mental health can wait. I got to burn this. I got to push through. (laughs) I'm still not. I hate. I know. I'm the kind of person who like, and this is a bad thing. I put myself last when it comes to taking. Yeah. That's wrong. Because I've gotten much better at that. I put myself last when it comes to resting. I think I can push and put, which I can. That's why I can yeah. do it. Keep going, keep going no matter what, and then eventually crash, and that's fine. My husband, on the other hand, is like, let's do something and then take a rest. He's good about making you slow down and take care of yourself in the ways that you wouldn't have otherwise. Again, gross. <laughs> I don't want to do any of it. I want to know what our listeners' New Year's resolutions are, though. Yeah. So- Please send us an email. Yeah, special request to get a DM, an email, a smoke signal, a messenger bird. I want to know what your New Year's resolutions are. Or if you feel like I do. Send your own Rowan towards us. (laughs) Do what you got to do. If you feel like I do and you don't like the idea of a New Year's resolution, tell us why. I would love to make sure I'm not alone. With that, Abby, should we jump right into our chapters, our summaries of chapters one and two of A Court of Mist and Fury? Yes, but can we preface it with, you had the world's shortest chapter? <laughs> well, I had, I think, as much information thrown in my face as when Alice threw up in the last one. I don't think I had the world's shortest chapters because it was a page no 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 listen the shortest chapters i feel are the ones in dorian's perspective in oh yeah yeah there you go that c c so when it's just like when it's just like one page i have no control of my own body (laughs) that's all i hate everything Next character perspective. (laughs) I don't. I just finished Queen of Shadows, and that is one of my favorite books of all time. And you told me the next one, Empire of Storm. That sounds like something straight out of Star Wars. It was one of your favorites. Oh, phenomenal. My friend, are you ready to read your extremely short chapter? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I think I've had shorter chapters, but this was short. So yeah, that's fair. I was like, not again, SJM and her super duper long, (laughs) even numbered chapters. I don't know what that was about, but you really got <sighs> you got quite the uh, the amount of pages to go through. I contemplated switching you this book around, <laughs> but I knew it might be the butt at some point. Let me go for it. Chapter one, Moonlight, the only light in the dark, slips into the cool marble bathroom as Feyre grips the toilet she's vomiting into. Tamlin is asleep, not at all disrupted from Feyre's sickness or from her jerking awake in the night since their return to the spring court. 
On this particular night, the retching had continued on for 15 minutes now. Favor reminded herself it had only been a nightmare. The cool sweat she felt was just that, and not the blood of the fae that she had murdered under the mountain. This nightmare was only one of many these days. Favor had been high fae for three months and still was not used to her new immortal body, or to the world trying to recover from what Amarantha had broken. Favor focused on her breathing, in through her nose, out through her mouth, in, out, in, out. As the sickness subsided, she leaned against a nearby wall where a cool breeze caressed her sticky, sweat-covered face. She placed her hands flat on the marble floor to ground herself and show herself that this was real. She had survived. She had made it out. Unless this was all a fever dream and she would soon awaken back in the dungeon cell. No, no. Real. This was real. They remount this over and over until she could loosen her grip. As she did, she felt the pain against her hands from where her nails had almost punctured her skin and her grip. Immortal strength was not her friend. They were bent, broke, or shattered just about everything she made contact with. Alice had to remove the irreplaceable valuables since Feyre had destroyed five glass doors and an 800-year-old vase, among other things. All accidentally, of course. Feyre turned her hand and watched back as the eye in the center of her palm watched her. The pupil seemed larger than it had earlier that day, as if adjusting to the moonlight slipping in the room. Favor glared at it, and whoever was watching through it. She hadn't heard from Reese in the three months she had been back at the spring court. She didn't want to ask Tamlin or Lucian or anybody and risk summoning the High Lord of the Night Court or remind him of the foolish bargain she had made under the mountain to spend one week every month with him in exchange for Reese Anne saving her life from an infection she had gotten through a severe break in her arm against the Midgard worm. By the end of their mountainous nightmare, Reese hadn't been such an enemy to her after all. To Tamlin and all the other courts out there, Reese-Anne was still the enemy. Few went into the night court borders and lived to tell the tale. Few knew what exactly existed within its borders. Mountain and darkness and stars and death. Feyre didn't feel like Reese-Anne's enemy in their last encounter. She hadn't told anyone of their meeting or what she had confessed to him of her heart still being human. Favor cleaned herself off and wished that her human heart had been made into immortal marble. Tamlin was asleep as Favor returned to bed. His naked body stretched from one end to the other. Favor admired the muscles across him, illuminated by the moonlight. She marveled at his golden hair ruffled from sleep and from her fingers which she had run through it as they were intimate earlier. She had destroyed herself for him, gladly. Now she would live for eternity with what she had done. Each step towards the bed felt heavier, and the bed felt cold as she slipped inside, pressing her back to Tamlin. Feyre could hear his deep, sleep-filled breaths, but every once in a while, when she heard his breath catch, well, even she didn't have the heart to ask if he was actually awake. He never seemed to wake when Feyre was startled from her nightmares or vomiting each night. At least if he did, he never said anything about it. Feyre knew Tamlin had nightmares of his own. She had tried to console him the first time he had awoken from them, but he shook her off and shifted into beast form and spent that night monitoring the doors and windows. There were many nights Tamlin spent that way. Favor pulled the blanket higher, craving the warmth against her body, against the cold night. Favor and Tamlin had an unspoken agreement not to let Amarantha win by acknowledging that she was still torturing them in their dreams. Favor felt it was easier not telling Tamlin that, although she had freed him and saved his people, she had broken herself in the process. Favor felt the eternity she had before her would never be enough time to fix her. The three were gathered in the stables, and Tamlin was again refusing to let her go. 
It had been three months of nothing. All she wanted to do was go to the village less than five miles away, but Tamlin refused. Lucian looked down at her from his horse with eyes that begged for her to not push Tamlin. Feyre didn't listen. She continued, saying that the village needed all the help it could get. Tamlin reminded her that they were still hunting down Amarantha's beasts, and thus he didn't have any extra sentries to spare for her safety. Feyre retorted that she didn't need any escorts. Two months had passed since Tamlin proposed, and every day had been spent on excruciatingly boring wedding planning. The only reprieve she'd gotten from her very important decisions on flowers and table runners was the winter solstice arriving. Granted, now she was deciding on which wreaths to hang, but at least it was something different. They had celebrated for three days, full of small gift givings, drinking and feasting and ceremonies. But to Feyre, something felt off about feeling festive in a place that perpetually felt like spring. She had not really listened as she was told the origins of the holiday. Some believed it was from the winter court and some from the day court. Either way, both celebrated it as their holiest holiday. All Feyre knew was that she had to sit through two extremely long ceremonies, one at sunset that began a long night of presents, dancing, and drinking that was held in the honor of the sun's death, and another at the following sunrise to welcome the sun's rebirth. During the ceremonies, Feyre had the gift of listening to Tamlin's many toasts and salutes, all while standing in front of the gathered courtiers and less Faye. Feyre might have forgotten to mention that her birthday had fallen on the longest night that year. She had felt she had received enough gifts and would receive even more during the wedding. She had no idea what she would even do with all these things. There was now only two weeks until the big day, and Feyre desperately needed to leave the house. So again, she pushed him. It's not safe, especially for you, her high lord said, just like he had said every time they had the same fight. But Tamlin, no matter how much Feyre pleaded, was not changing his decision. Feyre tried to fight back and say it was safe because the wards were up, but Tamlin threw her a bone with some new information. Some monsters had slipped in before the wards were repaired. Lucian himself hunted down five Naga yesterday. Her blood turned cold and she stared down Lucian. He had lied to her yesterday when she had asked about his limp. Feyre almost threw up. She had even begun to dream of their blood raining down on her as she killed them in the woods. Tamlin spoke softly. I can't do what I need to do if I'm worrying about whether you're safe. But she knew she'd be safe with all of her new high fey abilities. He begged her to do this for him, then pushed that he was sure there were other things to do around the house. Or Feyre could paint and try out the new set he had given her for winter solstice. Feyre knew the only helping she'd do around the house would be to make more decisions about the wedding since Alice wouldn't let her help with any of the housework. It was supposed to be a gratitude for everything Feyre had done to save Alice and her boys. Feyre again gave up. She forced a fake smile and told Tamlin to be careful. I love you, was all he replied. She didn't watch them leave. Feyre took her time walking back through the garden. She hated her brightly colored gown that seemingly had now become her daily uniform. She wouldn't tell Tamlin that though, because he'd been so happy to see her wear them. While Feyre longed to put her tunic and weapons back on, Tamlin was right. That would send a message and would instill fear into the kingdom. So, the gowns it was. She was thankful that she at least got to carry a dagger at her side. It was a gift from Lucian who had said you might as well look good if you're going to arm yourself to the teeth. The knife went with her everywhere. Feyre doubted that even if the land was peaceful for a hundred years, she would never quit wearing her dagger. But then it hit her. She had a hundred years here. Even more centuries with Tamlin in the spring court. She pondered if that was enough time to sort herself out. 
but probably not. As Feyre made her way back to the house, she looked towards her old painting studio and cringed. She had only gone back there once since she had returned, and it had hated it. A feminine voice came through the open window, calling Feyre's name. It was Ianthe, the high priestess that was also a high fey noble and a childhood friend of Tamlin's. She had been a godsend during the whole wedding planning process, and honestly, through the entirety of the winter solstice celebration. Feyre had begun to even dread the days that Ianthe was busy at the temple, for Ianthe had become a security blanket of sorts. As Feyre made her way into the mansion, she promised herself that next time she would convince Tamlin to let her go. Oh, we can't let her sit next to him. They'd rip each other to shreds, and then we'd have blood ruining the table linens, Ianthe exclaimed. Feyre took in the sight of the woman before her, a woman with a tattoo of the lunar cycle on her brow, who wore billowing robes twisted into a dress with a belt of sky-blue stones. She wore on her head a band of silver with a large stone in the middle, and a veil-like panel of cloth currently folded up beneath it. Ianthe said it was like a game, with all the pieces vying for power or dominance. She told Feyre it must have been a strange adjustment for her, but Feyre noted that humans aren't much better. At the mention of her prior kind, Ianthe asked if Feyre's mortal kin would be joining them for the wedding. Feyre hadn't even thought to invite them. Ianthe pushed that since they lived so close to the wall, Tamlin and her could ensure their safe journey. Feyre said that as much as her sister Nesta could hold her own, Nesta hated Ianthe's kind. Our kind. We've discussed this, Ianthe quickly corrected her, but Feyre only nodded in response. Ianthe continued, we are old and cunning and enjoy using words like blades and claws. Every word from your mouth, every turn of a phrase will be judged and possibly used against you. Be on your guard, lady. Feyre focused on what she had called her, a lady because nobody knew what to actually call her. Feyre wasn't born high fey, and she wasn't Tamlin's mate. She was just made. Feyre thought maybe Ianthe looked more like Tamlin's mate than she ever would. A union between a high lord and a high priestess would send a strong message to anybody wanting to mess with their land. The high priestesses were responsible not only for their own ceremonies and rituals, but also recording histories and legends and advising their high lords. The high priestesses drew their magic from their ceremonies, and the power could be lethal if they so chose. When Tamlin had said that an old friend was going to aid in renovating the temple on their lands, Feyre didn't know what to expect but it wasn't Ianthe. Ianthe wasn't celibate, as priestesses could marry and have children as they wished, their children as respected as any high lords. Ianthe was the youngest of the high priestesses, and she remained unmarried and childless. She said that she preferred to enjoy the finest males the land had to offer. Feyre's thoughts were interrupted by Ianthe, asking if Feyre knew what color roses she wanted. White, pink, yellow, or red? Red was an absolute no. It made her think of Amarantha's hair and the blood and the welts on Claire's body and the spiked walls under the mountain. Feyre told Ianthe to pick whatever color she wanted and Ianthe raised a brow at that. Feyre couldn't help but think how unfair it was that Ianthe never had to go under the mountain because her family had escaped to Valahan, a fairy territory across the ocean. Ianthe continued saying that every element of the wedding was to send a message not only to Perinthian, but the world beyond. She knew that Feyre wasn't a fan of her dress, but that was the understatement of the century. Vera hated her dress but Ianthe continued to say that the dress made the right statement. Ianthe told Feyre to trust her on this, and she did. Ianthe denoted that not only was this an important moment for Feyre and Tamlin, but for her too. She told Feyre that they were so similar, and together with Tamlin, they would make a formidable unit of three. Four, if Lucian were to join in. But he didn't seem to want anything to do with Ianthe. Lucian made every possible move to ignore her. Feyre pondered aloud, maybe because it was different with him and Ianthe. Maybe it would mean something more to Lucian to be with the High Priestess, but not even Feyre believed her own words. Ianthe changed the subject, asked if Feyre was at least excited for the wedding. That was a complicated answer. She told Ianthe that it would be the happiest day of her life, and honestly, the day Tamlin had proposed, she believed that. 
Now she wasn't so sure. Ianthe continued, The union is cold and blessed. Your survival of the horrors under the mountain only proves it. Then she glanced at Feyre's tattoo on her left hand. It took all Feyre's strength not to pull her hand under the table. Ianthe proposed that Feyre could wear gloves to the ceremony. But Feyre knew that would only send another message, possibly to the one person she hoped had forgotten her. Feyre had tried for hours to fall asleep, but when Tamlin walked into her room later that night, she was still awake her room. Tamlin still had his own quarters, but had slept here every night since their return. Feyre hadn't once slept in his bed and wondered if their wedding night would change that. Thoughts stopped as Feyre fixed her eyes on Tamlin as he reached to undo his pants. He noticed her gaze and growled in approval. In an instant, his pants and undergarments were on the floor. Come here, he murmured, and instead Feyre flung off the covers to reveal her already nude body. She crawled across the bed and placed his face in her hands before kissing him. His gaze held hers through the entirety of the kiss, escalating in passion as his hands trailed along her hips. A moan escaped her lips. This moment here, with them together, not fighting, nothing more, nothing between their bodies, this is what Feyre craved more than air. His fingers slid inside her. Her thoughts focused on nothing more than his fingers and tongue keeping rhythm until she shattered. Please, she begged him. He only kissed her in response. Tamlin, she pleaded. He slid inside her with great force, again and again, until she was nothing more than the lightning flowing in her veins. She promised it would always be like this between them. They fell against each other, and their hard breathing was the only sound filling their bedchambers. He apologized about earlier that day, and Feyre said it was fine, that she understood, which wasn't a lie, but wasn't the truth either. He tried to tell her that she was everything to him, that he needed her to be all right, and to know that they couldn't get to or hurt her anymore. Feyre understood that, but said, but what about you? Who gets to keep you safe? He flinched. He didn't need anybody to keep him safe. He was the high lord of the spring court. With his power, with the power he had back, he didn't need anybody to watch over him. Soon. Soon you'll be my wife and it'll be fine. We'll leave all this behind us, he said softly as his fingers trailed their way back down her waist. She arched her back in a silent plea for his hand to continue lowering and though he laughed, he obeyed her request. She wondered aloud what she would be called as his wife. She didn't want to be called just Tamlin's wife. Her thoughts began to haze again as his mouth traced its way in small kisses to her breast, nipping at her nipples while his fingers lazily slid back inside her. She again wondered if she would be called Tamlin's wife. Would she get a title? She didn't want one, but couldn't handle them calling her a high lady. His fingers hadn't stopped and a growl escaped from him as he felt the wetness from both of them between her thighs. Kisses again began to trail down her body from her chest down to her stomach to... They won't. There's no such thing as a high lady, he said as he gripped her thighs and spread her legs open. High lords only take wives, consorts. There's never been a high lady. She began to ask about Lucian's mother, but the last thing Tamlin wanted to hear at that moment was another male's name on her lips. He lowered his head, and at the feeling of his tongue inside her, Vera quit arguing. I have a special request that we quit hearing Tamlin groaning in pleasure. Growling, growling. I would rather never hear Tamlin growl again. Growl or groan. Can we get neither of those from him? <laughs> Please no. I would never like to hear him growl again. That is my formal request. I'm so done with his growling. Also, you know all I hear is grrrr. I thought it was her. <laughs> 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 I thought it was very telling when in chapter one, Pharaoh was returning to the bed and it was cold. Even with Tamlin there, even pressed back up against him, she just felt cold. 
it spoke volumes to me because when I get into bed, if it's cold, I can just sidle right up to Skylar and that's all the warmth it takes. Right. That person should be warmth. So why is it she's getting into bed and it's just cold? It's cold and it just feels, uh, you know, it feels sad. It feels empty and big and lonely and he's right there next to her. All sprawled out and comfy. I get back into bed and I'm like, oh, my husband. Right. Oh, I'm safe because my husband's here. I couldn't imagine like, especially before getting married, the week of your wedding. This is what I need to talk about, Libby. He doesn't go to help her. Right. That is shocking to me. How is he not waking up when she's startled awake and running to the bathroom to be sick for 15 plus minutes? Yeah, I don't know anyone that quietly throws up. Have you ever heard someone just quietly? No, but does Skylar wake up every time you wake up? When I wake, yeah, he he's pretty good about. Okay, James will, will not do that for me every time I wake up. But like if I'm actively throwing up, he will be there holding my hair without question. You know? Oh, okay. So you just mean if I just wake up, like just get up. No, no. But yeah, if I'm throwing up or if I'm startled awake, yes, absolutely. Or like even if I have a nightmare, I will like go over to him and like shake, like, like touch him and be like, hey, I had a nightmare. And his first thing to do is like, come here. Like that, and it's not, he's half asleep and that's his first reaction. Oh yeah. I couldn't imagine throwing up loudly in the same bathroom as my bedroom's connected to. Yeah. Jumping out of bed because you're terrified, running to the bathroom, like all of that should have woken him up, especially for someone with the face senses. Why is he sleeping through this? Which I don't think he is. He's not. Even she says, I can hear his breath catching, I'm just too afraid to ask him if he's awake. I don't get why he doesn't care. Why does he just not give a shit about what's going on with her? He knows what she just did and endured to save him and everyone else. And he's just going to be like, oh, I'm just going to pretend I didn't hear this. I'm sorry. Did you just ask me why Tamlin was being selfish? You're right. Never mind. Ooh. Hmm. I don't know. But this is just such a red flag. It is. And it frustrates me that she's like, oh, but sexually we're fine. And it's like, well, okay, that doesn't mean you guys are in a good place. And this whole concept of an unspoken agreement to never address any of the issues, that's how we get through this. Well, Libby, about this, at the very bottom of the last page of the chapter, I said, Tamlin, you don't get to use sex as a manipulation tool, you asshat. Because that's what he does. Anytime that Thera starts to talk about anything he doesn't like, he goes, ooh, let me eat you out and then shut you up real quick. And Feyre doesn't know any better. And it's like, hmm, sounds good, buddy. She doesn't. She doesn't know any better. She is not, I don't want to say mature, old enough. She just doesn't have enough life experience to know how she should be treated and valued. And Tamlin is just trying to brush over all of the things that have happened. He wants her to not handle those things. He wants her to not bring any of it up. Pretend it never happened. Move on and go back to being the cute little girl that came in and painted and was like just happy and content doing nothing. He even says that, Libby. He says it in my chapter at the very beginning. He's like, yeah. Favorite just wants to go and help the people. She just wants to go to the village. She's like, I can hunt for them. I can get them food. I can help them rebuild. Do you know what this man says? Instead of, you know, like empowering his wife to like help aid her people, he says, <clears throat> I'm sure there are things to help with around the house. <laughs> or you could paint. 
Try out that new set I gave you for winter solstice. Not, I'm so proud of you for wanting to help your people. He's either just so oblivious and wrapped up in himself that he just truly has no understanding for what she needs, or he just truly doesn't give a shit. He's going to force her into this box of what he wants her to be. Honestly? Into this mold of who he wants her to be. I don't think he gives a shit. I really don't. Oh, he doesn't. He is going to keep pushing until she just gives in and stops fighting and agrees to be what he wants her to be, which she's already on the path to doing. I thought it was interesting too when Pharaoh was saying to Ianthe, your kind, referring to the Fae. Mm-hmm. And Ianthe's like, you mean our kind? And it makes me think of that moment on the balcony with Rhysand, that moment on the balcony with Rhysand where he's telling her, be glad of your human heart. Hold on to that. Hold on to your humanity. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, in the spring court, they're like, no, you're Fae now. You were never human. We're going to pretend that you weren't human. You need to fully be embracing life as a and essentially give up the entire aspect of you having ever been human. So the contrast between the two. Anthea was even saying like, we're the same. She did. She literally said, you and me, we are so similar. All these people around us like whoops. And I'm like, mm-hmm, I don't know if I'd go that far, my friend. Here's why I don't think it's fair for Ianthe to be comparing her and Feyre and saying that they're the same. Ianthe didn't have to endure the war. She didn't have to endure Amarantha. No, she went and hid. (laughs) She didn't have to go through any of the things that most of the Fae and Prithian did. She didn't have to survive. She got to go live comfortably somewhere else. (sighs) So I think if that were me and she were like, we're the same, I'd be like, no. You did not get (laughs) tortured and essentially murdered and brought back to life. You went through none of those things. You lived comfortably. Now get to be a high priestess enjoying all the different tastes of men or however she put it. You get to do all of those things while I was tortured and brutally murdered. So no, we're not the same. I wish we knew why Ianthe was chosen as a priestess. It makes me wonder what the other priestesses are like if this is what Ianthe is like. And she's the youngest. Right. Is this who they all are? Is this just the standard? If this is how she's acting now with just Feyre, who she almost is treating like a little baby bird, how mean is this woman like normally? I don't know. Also though, Feyre says Ianthe has become like a crutch at this point and she doesn't even feel bad about it. I'm getting vibes from Ianthe that she likes to be in control. So for Feyre saying she's a crutch, I'm I'm sure Ianthe is enjoying every minute of it. She had to control the dress Feyre, the wedding dress Feyre was wearing. Feyre hated that dress. She's saying, I hate this dress. Feyre hates every dress she has and I'm here for it because- Yes, fair. They have her in dawn pink. I'm thinking like a rosy, orangey, yellowy pink. That's perfect for Elaine. That is an Elaine dress. Yes. Not once do I picture Feyre wearing these colors. Dawn pink is exactly what I thought it was. It's like a orangey, purpley, pinky pink mm-hmm. gross no yeah ew first off i'm like is that gonna work with her skin tone because she's been in the sun and that looks like a pale person color no also can you you i know edit it to to be so beautiful and it probably did not sound like i was giggling through the entirety of the smut scenes when i was reading it but in reality my friends I was giggling and had to wear a little hood made out of a Christmas blankie to get me through that. It took some pep talks. It did. There was two whole pages of smut 
The purple highlighter has been brought back out, my friends, for book number two. I feel like I'm gonna get a lot more use out of it on this book. And if, we, God forbid, we ever get to Silver Flames, I hope I'm just immune. Granted, this did go better than the first time I read Smut, which included me giggling for 15 straight minutes. Anyway, at the very end of this chapter, I have a part highlighted in yellow which is now this book's emotional color. And it is when Tamlin says, you are, you're everything to me. I need you to be all right, to know that they can't get to you, can't hurt you anymore. Thera says, I know, but what about you? Who gets to keep you safe? Now that's a cute moment, right? I guess. And then Tamlin ruins it by getting all primitive and being like, I can defend myself because I'm the High Lord in Supreme Court. My issue with it is that I want Feyre to stop trying to be Tamlin's protector and start taking care of herself. Mm. So every time she's like, who's taking care of you? It's like, Feyre, worry about yourself. You know, when on an airplane, it's like, put your own safety mask on before you try to put someone else's on. Before somebody else's? Yeah, Feyre, put your own safety mask on, please. Because right now, you don't even have one on. You're not going to be of much use to all the other people around you. It doesn't feel like she's taking care of her own mental health and then still wants to turn around and protect Tamlin. No, no. She is just like she did at home, putting everybody's needs before herself and everybody else's anxieties are her highest priority. But you know what she's doing? She avoiding every issue in life with sex, which is her new fun coping mechanism. But there are other ones out there, like addressing your issues. Ew. People do that? Yeah, shocking concept, buddy. <laughs> Can I tell you my favorite quote? Please do. It was at the very end. You noted it on your summary. It's on page eight of the physical book in chapter one. It says, and I didn't think even eternity would be long enough to fix me. Mm. That's sad. That made me so sad for her. Or when she was like, oh shit, I have centuries with this man in the spring court. That's even sadder. A hundred years. I don't want to picture spending the week with Hamlin, let alone centuries. Dude. They have to celebrate Christmas. I mean, you do too, so uh, take this with a grain of salt. Where it's warm. How do you feel festive when it's 100 degrees outside? To be fair, I may live like 10 minutes from the beach, but it has been in like the 40s and 50s, so it still gets cold. <gasps> okay. Yeah. Okay, good. Right. Okay. Now, how are you supposed to celebrate Christmas time when it's hot and you're sweating? And it's springtime. All the time. Don't know. And I don't like it. It doesn't feel fun. I think that the setting for Feyre and Akatar was perfect because there were fire nights and dancing and festivals and it was a great springtime setting everything that could have made the spring court enchanting and wonderful it was there now we get to see what it's like the rest of the year round where it's not as magical she even left when the human world was winter yes it was cold it was terrible she couldn't stay warm but to her at that point it was a good thing to leave yeah. exactly she couldn't stay warm she wasn't getting food she was starving malnourished it was a godsend a, a safe haven for her to go to this springtime forever springtime land now that things aren't as dire it's not as enchanting it's not as happy of a place do you want to know my favorite quote well duh yes yeah course it was the part in the book where the night court is being described Ooh. mountains and darkness and stars and death just oh uh, i loved everything about that mountains and darkness and stars minus the death part i love that yeah minus the death part <laughs> if we could leave that part off it sounded 
glorious. Mountains and darkness and stars. It sounded beautiful. Death of Tamlin might be fantastic. So, you know, or like Death of the Nagas or, you know, bad. I Death of Amarantha. I immediately found this to be more mysterious and more alluring of a description. And it made me want to go to the night court, even with the death annotation. <laughs> Screw the death. Everything else sounds great. It just sounded much more inviting to me than the spring court. I was more excited to want to go discover the night court than I was to discover the spring court. Having sex in a field of wildflowers does kind of sound nice. Sure. Yeah. Okay. But I would much rather have the most beautiful night sky and mountains than anything. That's what I'm saying. Don't get me wrong. I love a beautiful garden. I love the warmth of the sun. I do love springtime things, but a night sky, star-filled sky in a dark evening in the mountains just sounds beautiful. Libby, I have one more point I have to make. Okay. What do you mean there's no such thing as a high lady? <laughs> Why? Ooh, yeah. Excuse me? That makes me so mad. I'm sorry. What? You're telling me there's not even like a queen? Like the men get all the credit here and she's just going to be a lady of the spring court? Are you kidding me? He said it with such ease too. While he was eating her out? Yes, he sure did. I don't get how Favor wasn't immediately like, oh, the mood is dead. The mood is killed. Get up. What do you mean? Because <laughs> immediately that went from being somewhat of a steamy scene to, oh, ew, no, no, what do you mean there's no <laughs> high ladies? Gross. It brought back the, there's housework. There's housework for you. Yeah. I mean, she does say the heat and his touch, all of it stopped. But I don't know, that's because he if he physically stopped touching her at that moment, or if because personally, I would be like, mm, mood ruined. That's enough. Goodbye. I thought it was kind of funny when she was trying to protest it further and was saying like, like, you know, Lucian's mom or Lucian and Tamlin saying, I don't want to hear another male's name on your lips right now. Mm -hmm. I did laugh at that. I thought that was good. That was a well-placed sentence. Yeah. I thought it was really funny. And then he growled and I was done and I was over it. <laughs> It's like, well, don't worry. He growled and lowered his mouth to me. He growled. Another grr. Thank you for that. <laughs> Another grr. Mm -hmm. uh, great. Oh, so enticing. Grr. So fun. Grr. <sighs> Gross. That's how I feel. Yeah, it is literally gross. Gross. Do you have any more points? I don't. Human? Okay. Tamlin gave me more ick. That's uh, that's really all I have. Tamlin gave me all the ick in here. You know what's not going to give me the ick? Here's me with the segues. I want to know who you personally think should be our stars of the week. Yes. Because we have lots of amazing stars of the week coming up for this upcoming season. I am so excited to share the humans that we have lined up for you. But do you have any businesses you would like to support or any favorite creators or any TikTokers, Instagrammers, YouTubers that you enjoy in the Actar world? If so, please send us an email to a court of thorns and podcasts at gmail.com and we would love to feature them. We'll reach out to them too. You don't have to do anything. Just send us over a name or two so we know who to reach out to. Or a link. If you have a link, that's fine. Oh, that'd be even better. That'd be great. Speaking of emailing us, Libby. While you're sending emails, <laughs> go ahead and send us an email to a court of thorns and podcasts at gmail.com. You already got it, but there it is again. Mm to tell us everything about how you found the series, your favorite characters, questions you have for us. Again, like Abby said, any Star of the Week references. We will give you bonus points if you are the referral of our 3,000. That's the most bonus points we've ever given. 3,000 bonus points. Abby. For every person sent towards wow. us. I know. That's, that's the last time we gave away 10. That's amazing. So, 3,000. So, you guys know. 3,000. 
and a trip to the spring court in your mind. Well, not for all of us, because some of us can't <laughs> see things in our brain. <sighs> if you like us at all, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or a rating on Spotify to help us find more of our bookish friends. And that's it, because you already got bonus points for the referral. So yeah, gotta gotta even it out. Ready to say goodbye. <sighs> Yeah. To the people who listen and the dreams that are answered. We will see you next week. And remember, don't let the hard days win. You can hear me from the dark. Listening from the fight. Makes me taking all my feelings. You in my head. You in my heart. I'm never dog. the volume again. There we go. Skylar, if you're listening to me edit this, stop messing with the volume on the recording for the microphone. Do you pronounce it Ianthi? Yeah, that's how I did it. Because Lianth is how I had to pronounce it because the font that I was using <laughs> on the Kindle made it look like an L. I know it's Ianthi now, but Lianth was what it was in my head. Lianth.